in 2010, a treasure chest, a treasure chest that was valued at over $1 million, literally over $1 million. It had about 45 pounds of, let's just say, gold and silver in this, trest, uh, this chest. It was buried intentionally someplace in the Rocky Mountains. It was buried by a man who was an eccentric antique dealer, and his name is recorded as Mr. Forrest Finn. True story. Mr. Finn, he hid this treasure chest with the hope of drawing brave souls with a lust for adventures and the great outdoors. And I quote from him. That was his quote. So what was the outcome of such a, a grand thing to take a treasure and bury it uh, for, for sport or for game, if you will? That's not a bad thing to do, right? It could be a fun thing to do. But what happened as the result of such things? Well, this hunt, this treasure hunt, galvanized 35,000, actually 350,000 voyagers to seek the treasure. Many of these people, listen, they left their, their jobs, they spent their life savings on this quest, and at least four people died along the dangerous track through the Rocky Mountains. It's amazing, right? So you and I, we may not be in pursuit of a buried treasure, but our life surely will reveal what exactly our treasure is. A life well lived will reveal your treasure. A life that's not well lived in the eyes of the Lord will also reveal your treasure or what we treasure. And that's my sermon title uh, for today. It is My Treasure reveals. I want you to think about your treasure. Put your treasure. So it'll be, you know, the Maletti's, the Maletti treasure reveal. The Moltons, the Gallerini's, the Abney's, my treasure reveal. So with that in view, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as our custom to do at Lakeshore City Church. As you are standing, I just want to let you know that the outline for our, my teaching today is actually in your bulletin. Uh, so that's where you can find the outline. So, here's what it says in God's Word, verse 19. Do not, did I tell you where we're going to be at today? I didn't, did I? Okay. Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Again, we're going through the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Here's what it says in God's Word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor must destroys, where, where not neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will, be, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. So reads the holy word of God. You may be seated. Well, it's a pretty powerful text, and perhaps it's a familiar text to each of you. So if we go with point number one, I pray, I trust it will start making sense very quickly. It's pretty straight ahead. We're going to identify the two treasures, which would be depicted in the first few verses here. But let me give you a quote that I think would be helpful. The Christian lives in this world, the Christian, I'm sorry, the Christian that lives in this world is to set his sights on the world above. So where do we set our sights? The Christian is to set his sights on the, wor- on, on the world above, meaning the Lord, right? The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. As I read this, I want you to be thinking about you. I'm thinking about myself here. Again, Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It would seem I'm repeating myself because there's consistency in the scripture to speak to what I'm talking about this morning. Because what we set our minds to is the very things we're going to be seeking in this world, right? What we think about is what we're all about, right? What we think about is what we're all about. What we seek is going to reveal what our priorities actually are. So Jesus, in verses 19 through 20, he's teaching us well. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself is speaking. He's teaching here. So he teaches us well, and he does so with two opposing thoughts. So let's look at verse 19. There's two opposing thoughts. Verse 19, do not, again, put yourself in here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. When we live in this world, we are going to accumulate in this world, right? If we live here, we're going to accumulate. But what the Lord is saying is be sure not to get attached to the things that you accumulate. That's one of the messages that we see here. The things you value, okay? The things that you value are depicted here as your worldly treasures. And we all have worldly treasures. But he's saying pay attention to them. For example, in the text we see that clothes, like what you wear, remember contextually we have to go back in history when this was written, right? Clothes, especially fine clothes, they were considered to be a part of one's wealth one's wealth. And clothes, as it says here, clothes are easily destroyed by moths. And then we learn, if we were to go all the way back to Joshua 7, 21, that Achan sinned by doing what? He stole a beautiful coat. He wanted it. The text says that he coveted that coat. He wanted it. And not only did he want it, and by the way, he had everything that he needed, not only did he want that and some other things, It says in the text that he coveted and he took it and he took what he got and he buried it in the ground. He hid it in the ground because that's kind of a way to, like a safe, right? There's no regular safes back in the day, not like go to 12, 37, 28, like you hid it in the ground and nobody could see it, right? So that contextually, that's what is happening 
obscure. They, they would take things that were valuable and they would hide them away where nobody could get to it. But he says in verse 20, Jesus does again, Jesus is teaching. He says, hey, but lay up for yourselves. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Like, don't do this, but do this. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moths nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That would be obvious to many of you in the room here today. And I think that's the problem. I said to my mom this morning as I was driving in, we were talking about the text. I said, you know, mom, one of the challenges about a text like today is many people are familiar with it. And therefore they say, oh, I've heard this before. We have to be careful that we allow the word of God to be that two-edged sword. And as we read it and study it and chew on it, there should be some power here because it is the word of God. So the issue is not whether you're going to lay up a treasure. Everyone's going to store something up that's going to lay up a treasure. We all lay up a treasure. The question is, what treasure will you lay up? What are you pursuing? According to Jesus, there are only two options. That's it. He simplifies it. And those are treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. That's what he's talking about. So that's important. So Jesus is provoking our minds. He's asking us to think about some things. He's getting us ultimately to examine our hearts with the question, Charlie, Louise, Justin Welch, uh, you know, Joe Hunt, where does your treasure reside? Where is it? Is it, in, is, it, is it earth or is it heaven? One author said this, we must develop a heavenly attitude towards earthly things. We develop these things. The day that you are converted, the day that you are saved, you don't just automatically start doing these things. We develop these habits, these grace habits. God in his kindness continues to reveal things to us more and more, but we must develop a heavenly attitude toward earthly things. We are to become a people that treasure your treasure in heaven. Do you treasure your treasure in heaven, right? That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. We're to become those type of people. Treasures in heaven can be numerous things. It could be lots of different things. But it could be anything related to our worship for God, our worship of God, our worship to God, our obedience to God. It's a lifestyle that shapes our actions. It is one who also acknowledges the very existence of God. It acknowledges that God is who that he says that he is. It acknowledges God's character and God's plan that we can trust him with everything given to us. We talk a lot about, especially in the local church, about money. But what about our time? How do we invest that? Do we trust God with our time, our talents? We can trust the character of God. We can trust his plan for us. The heavenly-minded, listen, the heavenly-minded, I trust that's you. The heavenly-minded trust God's plan. They take heed to God's plan. 
and they also take heed to the gracious warning about the allure of temporal pleasures. What's temporal pleasures? It's the things you can't take with you. It's the things that are not eternal. It's the things that many people in the world get caught up trying to achieve, trying to get. It's more wealth, more possessions, bigger houses, bigger cars, all these things. But it's really trivial if you think about it. God's not saying you can't have money. He's saying don't let money have you. He's saying, remember back in Deuteronomy, it is he who gives you the ability to produce, to give thanks to him for what he's done in your life, and to use and steward your life in a way that would honor him. That would be the overarching theme here. So there's a warning for us to consider in the text. Does anybody feel warned by going through the text? You should. You should at least pause and say, okay, I need to keep an eye on myself. Why is that? Why is he saying, hey, you know, you know, just be warned here, you know, about the temporal pleasures. There's an allure. It's, it's a track. That's why people fall for it. It's a, we chase after these things because it's tempting. But be on guard because stronger men and stronger women than you have failed in this area. So he says, pay attention. The heavenly-minded, again, I trust that's you, they want no less than God's best. The heavenly-minded are a transformed people no longer chasing after what we want or making decisions based on what feels good in the moment or what feels right. Have you ever been to a fair and you're not even really that hungry and you don't even like corn dogs, but all of a sudden you see their corn dog and it's like a cloud. And that cloud, it's like the thing is just, like the hot dog's probably this, this skinny, but the thing around it is just this cloud and you just want it so bad. Yeah, kind of like that, but totally different, okay? I don't know why I just said that. It wasn't in the notes. But you, it, just, it just feels so good. And when you get done, it just doesn't feel so good any longer. Someone say amen to that. So we're not to be people who just do what feels good or what feels right. That's not how we are to be governed, right? You know, God's word says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way to death. In other words, don't get caught up in what you think. Get caught up in what you know. Not what you think, not what you feel, what you know. You see, your treasure is revealed in the way that you make decisions. Today you had to make a decision. You'll have to make decisions before you leave this place today. You're going to make decisions on Monday and all through the week, and the decisions are not equal. Some decisions are more weighty than the others, but you will make decisions. The heavenly-minded are always making faith decisions. The worldly are making fear decisions. What if I do this? I won't have this. But the heavenly-minded are making faith decisions. Our faith doesn't just come to us that day when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We need faith to carry us on, and the Holy Spirit provides that for us, that we continue to grow in holiness. The Holy Spirit will direct us 
and we need it, and we need it. So after some, you know, contradicting thoughts, or actually some thoughts that oppose one another in verses 19 and 20, Jesus makes a definitive statement in verse 21. And I want you to look at it. It's a very definitive statement. And here's what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the question we can ask ourselves right now is, where is your treasure? If you're not sure, you can ask yourself, honestly, before the Lord, how do I personally, not your wife, not your friend, not your cousin, not your mom, how do I personally, this is for you, it's personal, how do you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure? That'll tell you where your treasure is. You know, money, it's a powerful thing. I don't, I don't know if what I'm saying is right, so don't quote me, but I might be close. I think in the Gospels, every third verse deals with money. It could be every other verse. I forgot, but let's just say the Gospels talk about money a lot. And we think, we think of that word money, it could translate in the original language to mammon, okay? Maybe you heard that before. But here's what it means, mammon. It means, it means something in which one puts confidence. Something in which one puts confidence what money is. You're putting your confidence in that. But isn't it just a piece of paper? I mean, isn't it like really a piece of paper now? I'll stop there. So it's really hard to stop there. That was the spirit, by the way. But the treasure, the treasure map can be traced from your, your head to your heart or from your heart to your head, right? We all have a treasure map. We're all searching for something whatever it is that you define treasure, we all set our hearts and, our, and, and we're, we're looking for it. We're, we're, we want these things, and we can want good things and noble things, but again, be on guard. You see, when we set our hearts on wealth, it always deceives us. When we set our heart on, hearts on wealth, it always deceives us, and Satan is a deceiver. We're either going to invest this side of eternity or we're going to divest, right? Brethren, we got to be prepared to understand how to handle our lives, not just our money. So point number two is the two eyes. The two eyes, we see that in verses 22 and 23. Again, in your outline, you would see that. But let's just read God's word. It says, Again, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now listen, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's a metaphor. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But, contrast, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Just pause and think about that. 
covetousness, envy, greed, is that what defines your need? Is that what defines your need? We can ask that question as we read that. We can also ask another question. Are your eyes, are they healthy or are they diseased? Do we need our eyes checked? Jesus thinks so. What do you see with your eyes? Think about when you get your eyes checked and you go to see the eye doctor. They give you these large letters and you almost laugh because it could be the size of Mars. Do you see that letter, sir? I'm like, yeah, it's P. Everybody can see that. And just when you begin to feel a little more arrogant, they change it on you. And then before you know it, you are humbled to the reality that you don't see like you used to, right? So what do you see spiritually, right? Can you even see the large letters on the chart or the, 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 the letters in the middle or do you see the smallest of things? When you, when you see, are you seeing darkness or do you not call it darkness? You just call it shades of gray. Eyes are the windows to the soul. So the Lord is doing what? The metaphor. Again, it's parallelism. He's explaining things repeatedly. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, your eyes are the windows to your soul. I want to examine your heart. And he's using metaphoric language to drill home a point repeatedly because it's important it's important it's important for your pastor it's important for you in order to focus on heaven and store up treasure there in heaven you have to see clearly you have to see clearly the eye is the lamp of the body Listen to this. Uh, somebody wrote here. Either you let the light in through your eyes or you remain in darkness. It's that simple. And unless your spiritual perspective is directed by God, you will always wander in the dark. Darkness is not your friend unless God is with you in it. But here he's saying darkness is not our friend at all. But we do go through dark seasons. But he's talking about how are you right now? How are you seeing right now? What, what's going on in your world right now? Take inventory of your life. Pay attention. The third point would be two masters. Let's read 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to this last part. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. So says Jesus Christ. You cannot serve God and money. So he's saying, what master are you devoted to? What master do you love? Not what you say, rather, who
Who are you really? Like really. Not what you say. Like who are you really? When God examines you, who are you? There's grace here. Because he's pulling it out of us now so that we can repent. Right? And again, not sure. Here's another way we can identify who we're devoted to or who our master is. I talked about earlier, I said, you know, you can take an inventory of your life by what? You know, um, we, we talked about, um, what is it, uh, what was that example I gave earlier? I just drew a blank here. Oh my goodness, I forgot. All right, let me just go back to this, what I do remember. Okay, so what master are you devoted to? Well, think through this. Think, think through this. When there's a crisis, a big crisis, I mean, one that knocks you back, one that knocks you down. Where do you run? Where do you run? It's easier to think about somebody else, but, but think about you. When you get knocked down, when a crisis comes, who do you run to? A crisis always sorts out our allegiance, our allegiances, right? It, it sorts it out. It's one of God's way of developing us and helping us to rely on Him. He uses all things for His glory. So you cannot serve two masters. God must have your devotion if you're to receive His kingdom direction. As Christians, we want His kingdom direction. We want it. We need it. We have to have it, right? You can't serve two masters. God must have your devotion if you're to receive his kingdom direction. Period. Jesus wants us to recognize the treasure war that's going on in your heart. Because a day is coming when your treasure will be revealed. So make sure you're investing your life into things that will last. He understands the treasure war going on in our lives. Craig Kinnear, he had this quote that I think helpful. Stay with it. It's a bit wordy. He says this. Most Christians, dis most Christians disagree with what the prosperity preachers say over the radio and television. But the main difference between us and them in practice is often that they provide a theological justification for their materialism, where we do not. It's heady. We'll talk about it later. But think through that. So, I guess coming off of that quote and some of the things we've just read, how can we, how can the people of God, how can believers live in such an affluent society and not become materialistic? How can we do these things in this world? Let me share a few things with you. Well, we need to live in this life with, on, with an eye for the life to come. We live this life with an eye on the life to come. That's heavenly minded. We live this life honestly 
totally honest before the Lord, asking Him daily, search my heart. Let me know where my true treasure lies today. Today. The Lord will always reveal to you where your treasure is because He loves you. He cares about you. Just like a dad would sit down with the son if that son was asking questions that were honest and authentic, the dad would wrap his arms around that boy and would talk to his son and say, let me tell you how I can help you and serve you. Let me teach you how to be a man. And the Father in heaven says, let me help you become more like me. That's what's happening here. We understand that Jesus is not asking us to give all of our money away today. However, we need to give it away. Charlie, did you just say something crazy? Think about what I said. The Lord is not asking us to give away all of our money today, but we need to give it all away all the time. Somebody very close to me recently passed away. And they did so with no will. For those of you who do not have a will right now, if you were to die, you need a will, right? A, a will, a trust, right? If you don't have a will, let me speak to you right now, the state of California would be very happy to provide one for you. And a part of how they tax you is you're going to give them some money so you can champion their causes. So you don't have a will, they'll provide one for you. No charge. Well, there is a charge, isn't there? Think about that for a second. You don't have to spend all your money now, but you're going to have to spend it all later. When we have a will, for example, have you allowed in your will for the advancement of the gospel? Is there something in there for the advancement of the gospel? Or have you worked out that the best thing that you could do is divide it all up and just give everything to the kids or your favorite person, and that's exactly, that's all you do, with no regard to the things of the Lord. Is that how we do things? No, right? And I think many of you would say, of course not, right? In everything we do, it's for the advancement of the gospel, right? The purpose of money is to be generous. Money is not the problem. It's what we do with the money can be the problem. Money is simply a tool. It's given to us so that we can benefit others. It's a ministry tool. So the Lord wants all of his kids to be generous because as Kent Hughes says, there's no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. So we need to give meaning to our lives, but contextually we do need to give meaning to our money. I have something here that I think will illuminate the point. Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, a great preacher. Here's what he said. So contextually, a man once stole Matthew Henry's wallet. As Matthew Henry reflected on the incident, he wrote this down. I am thankful that he never robbed me before. I am thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. Although he took all I had, it was not much. 
And I am glad that it was I who was robbed, not I that did the robbing. How powerful is that? The treasure of Matthew Henry was revealed on that day. That is a heart transformed by the gospel. Yesterday, I had the great privilege of being there when Tom and Pam renewed their marriage vows. Where is Tom and Pam? Are they here? Would you please stand up? Take a look in the, in the front. Look to the back there. Take a look. Stand up, please. Okay, keep standing. Tom and Pam run our marriage ministry at Lakeshore. 40 years they celebrated yesterday. 40 years. Praise God for their marriage, right? Okay, you can't be seated. I want to talk about them just for a moment. I think it would honor uh, the Lord. As Louise and I were just completely moved because at, at the beginning of, of, of the ceremony, we saw the grandkids, like all five of them coming down the aisle, and one had a sign that said, here comes Papa, and the next one said, here comes Nana, right? And they just come down, and we just see this legacy of these grandkids, and we see you know, we, I, I know their daughters. I, I know Lindsay, and I know Kelly, and I know I married uh, Kelly and Ben and, and Kevin and, and Lindsay. I know their family. I've dedicated their kids. And I'm just watching this family just honor the Lord with their lives, with their marriage, with everything. And it was just overwhelming in a good way. It's a legacy. But I also was brought to my attention that Years ago, 40 years ago, by the way, the pastor that did their ceremony 40 years ago joined me in the ceremony. Yes, it was really cool. But 40 years ago, as they walked down that aisle, typically what would happen is the father of the bride or somebody would step in for the father and would give his daughter away. But this is a renewal ceremony. No one was going to give away Pam. Pam's already been given. She's been given her husband, which is Tom. But what the Lord brought to my attention was they've given their lives away for kingdom work. They've given their lives away. They've given their time. And as we considered their lives, I asked those in attendance if they had been part of Tom and Pam's marriage group or they've worked with them in, in the past, would they just stand and I had them turn around and look at all of the lives that they had impacted. That is a life that was invested well. That is good gospel ministry. That is honoring the Father in heaven. I'll leave you with this. Maybe you want to write this verse down. It won't be on the screen. It's John 13. One. Let me read it to you. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Let's just let that breathe. He knew it was time. It's time to go to the cross. It was time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The cross 
which represented death. Then it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His treasure revealed. His own is his treasure. He loved them. He loved his own. His treasure is being revealed. And my question is, are you his? Do you belong to him? Are you sure that day when you stand in front of him, will he say, as it says in the Sermon on the Mount, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. Will you be that person? Are you his? Think through that. As Jesus goes to that cross, think about what's happening. He goes. And the Bible tells us that it pleased God to crush him on that cross. As he took the sin of man upon himself. We call that the great exchange because he steps in and takes your sin and he takes your place. But in order for someone to value that, one has to know that they've sinned and they need to understand that sin separates us from a holy God and that we need that sin dealt with. So Jesus steps in and he takes our brokenness, our shame, and he takes it upon himself. And for those who repent and trust him, He takes their sin and He puts them in right standing before the Father. And the same one that He went to would be the same one that you would go to. And as Jesus will now, and then the Lord will see you this way. The Lord will see you if you repent and trust Christ as perfect. Not because of what you've done, but because of what He has done. When we grasp that, it should overwhelm us Because he took us and he made us new. But here's the great part. I've been saved for a long time, but he continues to renew us through the gospel. Let the gospel renew your spirit. Let it encourage you. And as I said on the Wednesday night uh, Bible study, as I closed... uh, uh, Ryan Fosher led us that night beautifully, taking us through Ephesians. But as we closed, we just looked at that text, and, and so be it. It would happen to talk a lot about love God and love people. The hope that we have in Christ, that he's never going to leave us, he's never going to forsake us, that God is for us, that no matter what's going on in this world, no matter how dark it gets, we can count on Christ. That there's nothing happening in this world he's not aware of. He doesn't look at things and go, man, I don't know how I can deal with this. He's aware of it. So we're to be sober by what's going on in the day and age in which we live, but we're not to be fearful. We're to be faithful. That the same God who rescued us from our sin, who ransomed us, who saved us, is the same God who we can continue to count on until he brings us home. When will that be? There are a lot of opinions on it. How about we just do this? Why don't we just be ready? And when he comes, you'll know. You'll know. It won't be, trust me, you'll know. 
everyone will know. Because when that trumpet sounds, over. And your treasure will be revealed. Think through what you heard. Be encouraged by what you heard. Continue to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. For those that don't know Jesus, today, repent. Place your faith in him. 